welcome back to the Not Your Mama podcast. This is your host, Kelly Bryant, and I'm so excited to be back. We took a little uh, semi-unplanned hiatus for the summer. Um, As you guys know, if you listened to the last episode, I am pregnant and it was just kicking my butt, man. So we took a little bit of time off from the podcast, but I'm super excited to be back. I have an exciting topic, well, (laughs) very excited topic for you, uh, which is urinary urgency or like just having to pee really badly and having to go urgently. And we are going to be talking about if that is all in your head. So... Is it real, quote unquote, real in your body or is it in your head or, you know, do you have some illness? What's going on with it? So let's talk first about what it is. So one thing that's kind of confusing is a lot of the diagnoses around urinary urgency, things like overactive bladder syndrome or interstitial cystitis, they're actually just describing symptoms right? They're not actually an explanation of what is wrong. When it comes to overactive bladder or interstitial cystitis, we often don't actually know what the underlying cause is. So I find that those diagnoses, I mean, they can be a helpful diagnosis to have if you need it like for insurance purposes in order to get the referrals that you need to the right people. But for the most part, it's not actually knowing that you have overactive bladder syndrome or something like that is not actually going to determine your course of action, which can be very frustrating. Um, So to some extent, yes, it can be helpful to have a diagnosis. On the other hand, if you know that you have urinary urgency, you know, because urinary urgency, as the name would suggest, is basically the feeling of needing to go pee right now. And you can have other types of urgency as well. Obviously, you can have um, you know, the urgency of, of having a bowel movement, but for today, we're just going to talk about having to pee. So it tends to happen to people with a vagina more often, right? And that's, there's a few reasons for that. One is because that's typically like, it's often associated with birth, It's often associated with menopause, but also regardless of those particular life changes, the actual structure of the pelvic floor is different. And in my experience is much, has a lot more um, tendency to have the issues that create urinary urgency. That is not to say it doesn't happen to men. I have actually spoken to men who've like, done consults with me because they're like, I can't find anyone who knows anything about male urinary urgency. Um, And unfortunately, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't either. I know a lot about um, how it works with a vagina and the the like structures of the the female pelvis. And I don't really know much about how it works with the penis, but it is possible. Um, But let's talk a, a little bit about some of the places where it happens most often. So I would say menopause is probably the most common. Um, And there's a few reasons for that. So a couple things are happening simultaneously. One, you have this big change in the hormones when you go into menopause. So menopause is like hormonally very similar to postpartum. And that hormone change results in a lot more like tissue laxity. So in general, there's less 
support in the connective tissue of the pelvic floor. Simultaneously around menopause is often, I won't say universally, but is often when a lot of women stop, uh, start to deteriorate sort of strength wise. So either they stop exercising or it's been a long time since they've exercised, but those hormonal changes around menopause or life changes, lifestyle changes around menopause cause, um, cause people to just have less strength as they go into that stage of life. And if you've listened to the podcast, I've talked about this before, but tight or pardon me, loose tissues, like loose connective tissue creates tight muscle. So if we know that all the connective tissue of the pelvis, all of the like actual tendons and ligaments and and fascia that hold the bladder and the vagina and the rectum all in place, those are all getting kind of loose, soft, less structured. We're also getting weaker generally, and that's very likely to cause some of the muscles of the pelvis, the deeper muscles of the pelvis, to get clenchy, so tight and clenched. So that's one thing, one purely physiological cause of urinary incontinence, or pardon me, I didn't mean to say incontinence, uh, one purely psychological cause of urinary urgency. And I'll explain why that causes urinary urgency in a second, but that's basically, we've gotten to the point where we're like, okay, structures are loose, and then there's a lot of tightness in the muscles of the deep pelvic floor. Cool. Same thing happens postpartum. All of the tissues have been physically stretched out by the birth process, There's also the hormonal factor of like the tissues are just softer, looser, less structured. And we have this stage of life where often people are just spending a lot more time sitting, not doing the physically demanding things, you know, walking around, running, jumping, any of the things that they might have normally done in the rest of their life. And so that creates the same perfect storm as in menopause where it's very easy for some of those deep pelvic floor muscles to kind of go like, no one else is doing their job around here. Everything else has gone to sleep. So I need to come in and clench in order to hold everything together. And then there's this third time or lifestyle factor that I see contribute to urinary urgency. And this is probably the one that is most underappreciated or most underrepresented in what you will learn generally about urgency, right? There's like a lot of information, you know, obviously if you see poise ads, it's always like a beautiful postmenopausal woman. Um, if, you know, we're talking about pregnancy, it's very common to see urinary issues. We don't talk about the fact that often these issues also come up around any kind of mental health challenge. So anytime we see a significant increase in stress, um, anxiety, lifestyle changes, obviously menopause and postpartum are also major times of stress or uh, anxiety or emotional change, right? Like these are big moments in our life where, where things are shifting. But I also see that often in people who are like, college age, early 20s, who are just going through kind of like 
their first big lifestyle changes and have some kind of other mental health diagnosis as well. So the association with mental health challenges is, I think, not something that we're looking at nearly enough. And I see it almost universally, almost universally in the people who I talk to who have, um, who have urinary urgency, that they have some other mental health diagnosis underlying, or they have this really significant surge in stress or anxiety around the same time as when the incontinence or the urgency starts. So that's what it is and when it happens. Let's talk a little bit about why those particular things actually cause the physical sensation of needing to pee really urgently. I mentioned that the pelvic floor muscles get really tight and clenched in all of these circumstances, whether there is a mental health cause or whether there is a tissue laxity, strength change, something like that. Those deep pelvic floor muscles get really clenched. And that does a few things. One, it creates inflammation. So in the case of, for example, interstitial cystitis, which is inflammation of the bladder, there are many cases where interstitial cystitis is being caused exclusively by tension in the pelvic floor muscles. It's just that the pelvic floor is so clenched that it's causing so much inflammation that the organs are getting taken along for the ride and the bladder is actually inflamed as a result of that. So inflammation in general is not, often I think we think about our bodies as being like, my this is separate from my that. Like these are all separate parts in the operation game where you can separate things. They're not. Your your body doesn't care that like this is connective tissue that's up against a bladder and so like one shouldn't affect the other. Not how it works. The inflammation in one part of the pelvis will affect the other parts of the pelvis. So inflammation is one part of it. Another part of it is just that you are physically squeezing on the structures that have the job of communicating nerve impulses, that of communicating, I have to pee. So you may be squeezing down on the urethra. You may be squeezing down on the bladder, actually pushing on the bladder. For example, often... Um, we'll see like people are clenched in their abdomen and that physical squeezing in of the abs is pushing on the bladder. And if you simply let your abs go, relax your belly, that can be enough that you suddenly don't have to pee anymore because you're not pushing on your bladder and creating more pressure. So those two things can be the reason why something as simple as Having a big spike in stress in your life can cause you to have urgency and or having a, you know, a change in the tissues can create this kind of tightness or this holding, gripping in the muscles, which then creates inflammation and leads to any of these other diagnoses. So the truth is there's almost always some overlap. There's almost always some combination of uh, physical and psychological cause. Because even if you have a purely physical cause, you know, birth, something like that, 
menopause, the first time you start to experience that urgency or the first time, like that initial, oh my gosh, I have to pee right now. That is a huge, like deep, intrinsic panic button in your body, right? If you're familiar with yoga and the chakra system, our root chakra is like our basic human needs. And it is the part of our body where we do our peeing and our pooping. It is like very basic animal. You don't want to pee when you don't want to pee. So even if there's no other cause to your urgency other than physical ones, as soon as you start to experience the urgency, you create this panic response in your brain and it just continues to feed the urgency. So the first time it's like, that was weird. What just happened there? And then each subsequent time you start to build this story of like, oh my God, this is such a problem. And this is going to be like, I'm going to have this forever. And like, La, 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 la. It goes on and on and on about why this is such a problem and how you can't. And I have people who get to the point with this where they're like, they won't travel anymore because they know that it's such an, like a psychological trigger to be like, I'm going to be on the plane and I'm not going to be able to go to the bathroom. And just knowing, and you can always go to the bathroom. Like, If you tell a flight attendant you're going to pee your pants sitting in your seat, like you can always go to the bathroom. There's no such thing as not being able to get up and go to the bathroom. Um, But if anyone is a flight attendant, I would love to hear from you. Like, what would you actually do if someone was like, I have to pee right now. I'm going to have an accident in my seat. What would you do? Um, But in any case, people are so afraid that it becomes this like self-fulfilling thing. They're afraid that they're going to have to pee. So then as soon as they get into that situation, then they do have to pee because the fear is creating all of that inflammation, all of that cortisol, all of that clenching that then makes you have to pee. So the point here is that you can address this. My argument would be that you should address this from both sides. You want to handle the psychological part. You also want to handle the physical part. In some cases, just knowing that you have physical tools is enough to handle the psychological part, right? So I have some people who it's like, I don't want to say placebo because they are actually addressing the underlying physical cause, but there's additionally a placebo benefit of believing that they're addressing the underlying physical cause. And then that helps them feel less panicked, feel less worried when they're in that stimulus situation that causes them to normally have urgency. So that's one thing is just like, it is both. And if you are not addressing the psychological part of it, I think you can do all of the best things in the world, but you're still, it's kind of like a, if you ignore it, it doesn't go away. So you're, if you don't actually like look at the fear and work with the fear and handle the anxiety, then it's still there right? And you can fix everything, fix, quote, fix everything physically, and you're still going to have urgency because it's in your head too. So do both and your results will be faster and better too if you handle both sides. One of the psychological techniques is knowing that you are physically handling it, right? So um, 
that's one part of it. But another part of it is also um, actually learning management tools for anxiety. So this is where I'm going to direct you to. There are many other experts that you could see, maybe should see before seeing someone like me, but seeing a therapist to handle the anxiety or the stress or whatever that is. And seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist who pelvic floor physical therapists can actually do a manual assessment where they touch the tissues. They go intravaginally and they touch the tissues and they say, oh yeah, this obturator on the left is really tight or this muscle, you know, they actually can pinpoint exactly which muscles are tight. And often you can work backwards from there to say like, okay, this is a movement pattern that I have that's contributing to this. And so I typically tend to pick up, my preference, I should say, is to pick up after someone has done pelvic floor PT, because from there we can say, okay, you have all this awareness now. And often, I won't say universally, but often pelvic floor PTs kind of leave off there. It's like, okay, here's some manual therapy, manual therapy, manual therapy. We can touch these muscles and teach them how to relax. But then like, how do you actually go about your daily life, right? How do you get down to put the clothes in the dryer and then stand up without your pelvic floor clenching up? How do you sit for three hours on a plane without your pelvic floor clenching up? So that's where someone like me tends to come in and we actually work on pelvic floor strength and release exercises and stretches, but also full body strength exercises and stretches so that you are supporting the the pelvis in such a way that all of those deep muscles don't have to take over and do all the work and freak out, which is what they tend to do. So that strength component is huge. The other really cool thing about strength work is that it is also a psychological intervention. Feeling strong and capable and competent is another way of easing anxiety. I'm not going to say curing anxiety. Like that is something that you should see a therapist to work on and you may never be cured of anxiety, but it is helpful to actually feel safe and competent in your body. So that is my preference is like, can we also see a therapist and a pelvic floor physical therapist and then see someone like me afterwards? But, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, many of them based in the fact that the U.S. healthcare system and systems in general are not supportive of new parents, um, that may not be able to happen for financial or, you know, time, childcare, whatever reasons. And so in some instances, I will work with people who have never seen a pelvic floor physical therapist, have had no manual therapy, and we just figure shit out. Like we just figure out, you know, as they're sitting there, I'm not putting my hands on them. I'm not doing anything internal. But as we're sitting there, we talk through, okay, can you feel your pelvic floor dropping when you breathe? Can you feel what an engagement feels like? Okay, so you can tell that you're released. Like, People, you can do manual therapy on yourself. So you can get um, a wand that will help release. It's useful if you've gone to a pelvic floor PT first. Um, But you can, you know, stick your fingers in your vagina, clean fingers, please, and actually feel like, is is it reacting like 
out. Like, like there's tension there. Um, so those are just a couple things you can do, right? So making sure you're addressing things physically and emotionally, and then working on getting stronger. And then there's a few other little hacks. Like I'll tell people, you know, one is not chugging tons of water. So if you drink lots and lots of water and you just kind of like chug it all down, it's going to pass right through your system really rapidly. You have to like sip your water and actually be moving your body at least a little bit in order to hydrate your tissues with the water that you're drinking. Um, Making sure, I mentioned this earlier, making sure when you have that first hint of urgency, actually pausing, taking a deep breath, relaxing your jaw, relaxing your abs, making sure that you're not creating more tension and more stress in the body. Another one is that urgency and incomplete emptying often go hand in hand. So you may feel like you have to go to the bathroom frequently because you aren't actually fully emptying your bladder every time. So making sure that you're not power peeing, which is like pushing to pee, very confusing for the muscles. You want to sit down, relax, take a deep breath, release your pelvic floor. It's almost like when you release the pelvic floor, the urinating is involuntary. You just pee when you relax your pelvic floor and then staying for an extra second to take another deep breath or two, maybe gently rock forward and back on the toilet to make sure that you've actually fully emptied your bladder. And a good rule of thumb is if it's like six-ish seconds or more that you are peeing, then you probably actually had to pee. If you're like just getting a trickle or almost nothing, then you probably didn't actually have to pee. And the last one, which is really hard, especially for uh, parents, I find, is not pre-peeing everything you do. So if you go to the bathroom frequently, you start to teach your bladder that its capacity is less than it is. You start to teach it like, oh yes, when there's two ounces of pee here, I have to pee because that's what I always do. So you want to, of course, if you're like going on a two plus hour car ride, pee before you leave. But if you're going to Target, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to do school pickup, try to hold off unless you actually have to. Another way of looking at this is like, if you normally have to pee every hour, start to try to go an hour 15. So just go a little bit longer and a little bit longer. It can be helpful if you know that there is a bathroom or where the bathroom is, the places that you're going. So those are a few just quick tips. But the big thing is address the psychological part of it. See a therapist or meditate or use other techniques for managing stress. Um, if you can see a pelvic floor physical therapist do, and if you can't see it, well, if, whether you can or you can't, uh, work on getting stronger through a program like mine. And I also have, I want to call this out, um, exercises for a tight pelvic floor. So that is a free on-demand workshop that I have. It's a little 30 minute class that teaches you all the stretches that will help you get the pelvic floor to relax. And then obviously we would build on to that and want you to get lots stronger. This is something that I help people with frequently in my strong as a mother program. Um, if you are pregnant or postpartum. So that's it for today. I thought this was going to be a quickie, but we are rapidly approaching like 25 minutes. So let's wrap it up here. I'm so excited to be back. Thank you guys for hanging out and waiting for me to return. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. 
of the resources mentioned in today's episode will be available in the show notes. So go ahead to your podcast app and open up the show notes, or you can find them right on my website. And I would be so grateful if you would share today's episode with a friend. So just go back to your podcast app, hit the share button and send the link over to someone who you think would benefit from this. And lastly, if you want bonus brownie points, you can go rate and review the podcast. This helps new subscribers find us and get some awesome benefits from listening to today's episode. Thanks again for being here and have an awesome week.